0: Welcome to Adoption Unfiltered, a podcast about examining various viewpoints of lived adoption experiences. Your hosts, Sarah Easterly, Kelsey vanderbilt Rainyard, and Lori Holden occupy three corners of the adoption triad, and we invite you to join us as we cover sensitive and timely issues from the perspectives of an adoptee, a birth parent, and an adoptive parent. Enjoy today's episode.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Three Sides to Every Adoption. I am Lori Holden, and I am the adoptive parent part of this triangle. We know there's a constellation, but there's three of us here. I am joined by Sarah Easterly, the adoptee representative. Hi, Sarah. Hi. And Kelsey Vander Vliet-Ranyard, who is our birth parent, uh, pers- offers the view parent perspective. So hi, Kelsey. Thanks for being hi. with us. So today, this episode is going to be from the reader feedback bag. We had a request to talk about navigating birth parent and adoptive parent relationships. Um, And the explanation here is that adoptive parents are beginning to understand the complexity for the adoptee, which is fantastic. Centering the adoptee is always uh, one of the things that that adoptive parents need to do. Um, and adoptive parents are striving to help their adopted children with that complexity. So for those of us who are trying to do it in the best way for the adoptees, all the help you can give us is welcome. So we are really grateful for such feedback because that's a really good question for us to talk about. So um, I wanna talk about, especially with centering the adoptee, Sarah, I wanna ask you a question and I know you're gonna have to answer it a little bit theoretically because when we're talking about this open adoption era, which Kelsey and I both have lived experience in, Um, you uh, were adopted in close adoption era and you didn't have that. So when I ask you this question, um, just framing it that way, um, what do you think, Sarah, that adoptees need from their adoptive parents and their birth parents when they're in contact?
2: It's a really good question. It's a really important question. And um, I think my answer would be the same, whether they are or aren't in contact. Um, so, um, to, so to whoever is listening, I think, um, my answer would apply. So I know like in, um, you know, adopt, open adoption is where we are, um, with most domestic adoptions, but that's not the case for intercountry adoptions in a lot of cases. So then it, it, it does, um, for many different fa- factors, there's a closed adoption. And then of course, I, I also was in a closed era. So I feel that. Um, I would say the most important thing that adoptees need is mutual honoring of each other. All the parents are mutually honoring of each other because without that, it creates a, there's already going to be a divide. I think one, one thing everybody needs to know is there is going to be a divide that the adoptee is going to take on no matter what you do. And so the more you can help to not have that divide, the better for the emotional help of the adoptee. So um, when I say the honoring, it, sometimes there's tension in those relationships, right? Uh, the adoptee that needs to be <laughs> kept out of uh, any any um, any that can't be brought into the adoptee. That can't. There's any frustrations back and forth. Should not be felt by the adoptee. That should be out of the adoptee's awareness for as long as possible. Um, And, you know, if there is tension, then, um, you know, adoptees are known for being hypervigilant and very sensitive. So we will probably catch on to it. So um, trying to work through that behind the scenes or being honest, like, hey, we're in a rough patch, but we're going to be okay. Like, we're going to get through this um you this isn't something you have to worry about we can handle this um so that doesn't fall on the adoptee's shoulders we as adoptees tend to um just naturally be caretakers in a lot of situations and so just reminders that we've got this we are the ones in charge you don't have to take care of this we're we're taking care of this so you don't have to um as it's appropriate for whatever setting we're talking about but um, overall, just the honoring, 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 and that's closed or o- open adoption. It doesn't really matter. I think um, that's just the, so important.
1: Sarah, if, if how would adoptive parents go th- about that honoring if birth parents are not available for whatever reason? What are some ways to honor or maybe dishonor? Like may, we may be talking about what to do and also what not to do.
2: Well, I'm going to talk about it from what to do because a few ideas come to mind and actually the ideas that come to mind, I want to say, um, so I um, have done a lot of, um, I'm on staff for the Newfeld Institute under Dr. Gordon Newfeld, who's a psychologist, and he has a course called the Art and Science of Transplanting Children. And so a lot of the things that I'm drawing upon are just innately in me. And so I just want to quickly just say a lot of those, I think they're in me because I've Um, gleaned it through his work so I want to make sure I um, give credit there where credit's due Um, but honoring can be some some of the ideas he says in the course um, are things like um, oh you've got you know if if this were an adoptive parent speaking you've got your your birth mother's eyes or you know your birth mother would be so proud of you um, or your birth father would you know, if based on what information you have, um, you know, your birth father did this too, and um, or your birth mother, you know, just that, that honoring back um, for birth parents, the same way, kind of a um, ease kind of the, you know, we've spoken um, just about insecurities in past episodes. And so just kind of getting shedding the insecurities when you're in the space in the room with the adoptee so that those don't come across as a competition between the two so that the adoptee isn't isn't in the middle so for birth parents it may be just freely asking it may be some birth parents just saying how's your mom doing how's your adoptive mom doing or how's your mom doing you know like honoring Mom, as in that language, because the child is calling the adoptive mom "mom," not distinguishing between the two, and having comfort and flexibility, and just saying, "How's your mom doing?" Um, and I have to say, both ways for you know, "How's your how's your birth mom?" Whatever that language is, but language does convey that sense of openness. So, how are we being open in the language, and not not expecting the adoptee to hold that and try to make sense of it on their own, because that's um, when when it just gets problematic and then the adoptee gets into caretaking roles on both sides of the equation. When they're with the adoptive parents, they feel they need to kind of hide feelings and truth around the birth parents. And then when they're with the birth parents, they have to kind of compartmentalize and hold feelings and truth for their adoptive family that they're with. So how can we let, be aware that that's going to happen and how do we lessen that? And that's by just, um, that just, that honoring again, it just keeps going back to that honoring and, and, and just talking freely honoring by just, just not, just not keeping it contained and that, and compartmentalized yourself.
1: Yeah, that, and that sounds in line with what um, a couple, <clears throat> a couple of adoptees and playwrights told me on a recent podcast interview, Maggie Galant and Susan Backner both said, just make space for the birth parents, whether they're there or not make space for them, um, because then the adoptee doesn't have to carve out that space for them because you're helping them with that. Kelsey, what do you have to say on all of that?
0: Well, I think uh, I I get the question a lot um, from adoptive parents. It's almost kind of predictable, especially if they've they've just adopted um, and they're trying to have an open adoption, but, but she's not ready to have that open adoption. The question is always, um, you know, we've sent a few updates and we don't get a response. Do we stop sending updates? Do we stop sending pictures? Do we stop sending letters? And I always tell them, no, you keep sending until she explicitly says that she doesn't want them anymore. And and it's also possible that maybe she could have moved or she could have changed her number. And so if you have a, a good relationship with your professional, which is what we hope um, you can also troubleshoot that if you feel like something might not be right, like you're worried about, you know, if you're just not contacting her the right way, you can always reach out to your professional and, and see if there's new contact information or see if they can help you um, find that right contact information as well. But um, other than those kind of little tweaks, I would say Keep sending, keep keep trying. Um, there's a lot of times where I get a picture or I have gotten a picture in the past and just don't know what to say. You don't sometimes you don't have the words or you're not in the right headspace to to respond. And I would hate for that to be misinterpreted as I don't want these anymore. Um, because it truly is like amazing to be able to see um, those pictures and see him grow up. And so. I would hate for that to be misconstrued in that way. So,
1: I'm thinking of the um, model that Jim Gritter put out with his book, Hospitious Adoption. And he talks in there a lot about the guest, the host guest relationship. And he applied that to adoption. And, you know, both the, the host has the power, but the guest has some responsibilities too, because this is a mutual relationship, right? So at the very beginning, the birth parent, especially the birth, the expectant mother is the host of all the relationships. She's the literal host of the baby. Um, and then there's a big power shift and the adoptive parents become the host with get their guests, the adoptee and the birth parent over the course of many years. But then ultimately the adoptee is going to be the host and everybody else is going to be invited to the table at their discretion. Um, so I, I really like that model, but that makes me want to ask you, Kelsey, um, when adoptive parents have that power, in what ways can they use that power for good? And in what ways maybe is it less effective for you as the, as the birth parent? And then, you know, Sarah, I'm going to ask you too, like, when do, when do adoptive parents not use their power, their hosting power for good, because it's that 18 or more years where they, the, they get to be the host in that really crucial time
0: yeah um i think that when the power dynamic kind of gets way out of control is when um people aren't in tune or they're not checking their own insecurities and they're not um they're not checking themselves to see if their insecurities are making their decisions Mm. and um I think when you, when you are allowing your, your fears and your insecurities to give you permission to do things that you shouldn't be doing, (laughs) Um, and that, and and that just takes a, a, having a real conversation with yourself about, you know, is this really because uh, she's a dangerous person? And maybe it is, there are, there are circumstances where that Okay, like, and that, that's a different conversation, but like, am I, am I, I've seen so many adoptive parents just blow things completely out of proportion and say, oh no, we can't have that because she's, you know, she smokes marijuana. Like, I promise you that that's not as big of a problem as you think it is. And so I think um, if you're if you're allowing your insecurities to give you permission to then take opportunities and relationship possibilities away from your adoptee, that's when we really have um,
1: a problem. Uh, I think that's, that's really key. And we've said that on other episodes too, that insecurity, especially in the part of adoptive parents is at the root of a lot of the miscommunication, missteps that can come up that affect everybody yeah. especially the other day, but even the adoptive parent, it just makes things a little bit harder if you're not doing your own work, people. <laughs> just, and I think, I think adoptive parents
0: don't realize how intimidating they are just by nature, not because you're an intimidating person as an individual. Because we have all the power. But because of the power dynamic. And yeah. so I hear adoptive parents sometimes say, well, she has not asked for a visit, so she must not want one. Or they kind of put their foot down and say like, well, if she wants one, she's going to have to ask for one. And I'm like, you're really putting her in what a position that is. You know what I mean? Because I, I am almost six years in and it's really hard for me to ask for a visit. And is that something I need to work on myself? Probably. Um, But does it have a whole lot to do with this power dynamic and nothing, it's nothing personal on them. It's not really personal on me, but it's about the power dynamic. It's about knowing that you could make one wrong move and they have the power to tell you no more. And then what? You wait either 12 years or a lifetime to see your child again. And so I think that's a huge thing to hang over someone's head and that's the nature of adoption. And so that's not something that can be changed. So you kind of actively have to fight against that power dynamic.
1: And Um, I think that's one of the things that um, Jim Gretter was getting to with his guest host relationship, a really good host anticipates the needs of the guest and doesn't make the guest ask for everything.
0: Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because I've not read that, but I always would describe being in an open adoption as the birth mom, as being um, a guest that hung around at a party too long (laughs) because, you know, you're like standing around, like, all right, should I help you clean up or, you know, and, and it's like, I feel like I should go, but I don't know how to leave. And then, um, you just kind of feel a little bit uninvited, even though you invited yourself, (laughs) maybe that's worse. (laughs) And, um, you know, you, 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 I always say this too that moms considering adoption they're not educated on what open adoption looks like so you you place your child for adoption you sign consents you all go home and then it's like you're expected to know where the boundary lines are and what to say and what to ask for and what you have no idea no one's told you anything they just they've They have dangled open adoption, the concept of openness in front of you as a reason why adoption is just going to be a okay and it's all going to be fine for you. But then once you get into it, you're like, wait a second, no one told me how to do this thing. And a lot of times, unfortunately, no one is really telling adoptive parents how to navigate it either. Mm, And so it's, it's presented on one side, on the birth parent side as being a perk, And on the adoptive parent side, it's presented as an obligation. And neither side are really getting to the point that this is a relationship. And so neither side has that understanding from the get-go. And so it takes them a while. And sometimes they never understand it. um, Because no one's ever told them that that's the way it has to be. And, And sometimes they find out too little too late when their
1: adoptee is kind of
0: thrown into it. So
1: you're making me think of a lot of things I want to put into the show notes for other resources on these things. Sarah, what what is all this making you, um, What what's going on for you with all of this conversation?
2: Um, well, you know, I'm thinking of how this applies to adoptive parents and just, you know, back to your question, Lori, about, um, which I appreciate you asking how, in what ways do adoptive parents use their power destructively? I appreciate that. Um, you're willing to ask that question. That's a really vulnerable question to ask. Um, and I, I'm glad I, I just, again, just highlight just I'm, it's nice to have this uh, space where we can, we, we have, you know, you're willing to ask those questions and listen. So I appreciate it. And those of you who are listening too. Um, I think one thing, if I were going to say from the adoptees perspective, um, our defenses in a lot of cases, can lead us to exhibit to the world that we don't have any cares about our birth family and our and interest there, and that's open or closed, it doesn't matter. Um, I think you know um, adoptees could be pushing away. I don't want to see my birth parent. Um, they could be pushing away, you know, in in an open or in a closed. They there is just kind of a pretty consistent arc um, of how our brains are it is such a big attachment wound that our brains protect us by by just this kind of numbness and saying we don't care about it and that can be open or closed and so i think one way that adoptive parents can use their power is by believing that taking that at face value and i i am only one adoptee I happen to have, you know I run writing groups for adoptees and I think we're nearing 100 adoptees who've been um, in these writing groups, sharing their stories and just my just knowledge of attachment. There's probably not a single adoptee, even when they're saying that that doesn't have, doesn't have a heart connection to their birth family and their birth mother specifically. But I know that all of us, some of us are different. You know, I've heard adoptees who have that also that really strong heart connection to their birth father. So it's our roots. It's our, it's our ancestors. There's a tie and it's all it is. If when we say that is just a, uh, portrayal and even no matter how strongly we say that, it's just highlighting how deep the wound is and how much that hurts and how we have to protect ourselves by saying it doesn't matter and we don't care. And we may carry that to our grave, but don't take that at face value because that's not true. And so I think that can really end up hurting us and be a, a place where the power gets, um, gets destructive because, Oh well, they don't. They don't have any interest anyway. I don't need to work on this relationship. My adoptee doesn't isn't bothered that you know. And yeah, anyway. So I think that can be a, a one of the key areas that I, I that comes to mind right off the top of my head.
1: And I think that gets back to the host guest relationship. That if the host is um, is healthy and okay inside, they are going to be better at attuning and anticipating what their guest, in this case, the adoptee needs. And they're going to feel safer to the adoptee to, to be approachable about things. And um, the adoptee is going to be less likely to have to smush down their own feelings and look a certain way. Is that an accurate, is that and I, I'm only one. Of, I, I, you know, on this on on this series, we are all just coming from our own personal experiences. So we're not saying that this is the way for everybody, but this is our uh, these are observations we've made of ourselves.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think so. I think, um, you know, unfortunately, none of us are fully, <laughs> fully healed, fully perfect when we're parenting, right? Yeah. <laughs> and when we're living through life. So I mean, it's not going to be. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be fully healed, but I think the more that, uh, the more knowledge to look at it, the more inquiry, the more um, remembering, um, and and trying not to put the adoptee in these uncomfortable positions of trying to sort it out, or like you said, not not room. When you know when we when we push down, then we're not giving room to for the feelings, for the um, for all of it to come out. So I think the more. Um, we can strive for that and aim for that, the better we're probably going to get closer to
1: doing that. I Just to the original question of the the reader who asked this, this is really hard. This is asking people in a highly emotionally emotionally charged situation over a very long time to make consistently good decisions and give grace to each other. And so this is hard, even when people are healthy, like you say, Sarah, this is hard to do. Um, we're all gonna do our best and we're all gonna mess up at times. Um, but these are some of the ways that, that we're saying now that it, you can hedge your bets, you can do a little bit better if you're working on your own stuff as adoptive parents, if you're working if you're working on your own stuff as, as birth parents. And um, I, I think I'd like to end on the note of, we, we talked about how adoptive parents can use their power destructively. How can we, use, what does it look like when we are using our, the power that we have in these relationships for good? We are carving that space. We are honoring our counterparts. What, else, what does that look like to you Kelsey when, when we are using our power for good?
0: Um, you're reaching, you're reaching um, and this isn't, this is very metaphorically, making but like when when the power dynamic has you up here and I'm down here you're reaching down and like Mm -hmm. helping me up Mm -hmm. um and that means that you're asking me hey we'd love to see you when can you you know when are you available hey how is your life going like continuing the relationship hey um I just this is for my own thing but um in relationship but I just got in the mail a few weeks ago my um son drew me uh, asked me what my favorite animal is and then drew me a giraffe and colored it and it's on my fridge and so like they they sent that to me in the mail and so like that is hey like he obviously wanted to do this for you but like we're letting you know that we care and we think of you and we talk about you because obviously, my name is alive in their home. So right.
1: see, seeing and valuing you for you, and not you as yeah. the means to and get. I don't
0: need I don't know. need a picture to tell me that, but I think like there's just little um, things that let me know that I'm I'm still um, present, um, even if not physically at the, at the every moment, you know. So. Um, and, and it's more like, also like in an adoptee centric way, it's his birth family and his roots are present um, even when he's not in our home.
1: So. So, so in contrast to what you were saying before, that uh, obligation to, yeah. it, you could tell that when they sent you that picture, it wasn't because no one they were is- checking a box. We'll send her a picture. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. there's the
1: spirit behind what they're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. um yeah reaching down reaching out a hand to um and and to letting them know you care um and if you have to make the first move every time um and say hey we'd love to see you or hey here's a picture or um I think some adoptive parents really get hung up on the fact like oh we have to reach out every time um it's not a relationship where you're not getting anything out of it um but she may not make the first move and and text you uh this isn't you're not dating us uh, and uh, it's not just an excuse to the fact that we yeah maybe we should reach out but it's I think sometimes a lot of adoptive parents just have to kind of get over that you're gonna have to do this and it's not that big of a deal
1: yeah
0: it's not that big of a deal you mm-hmm. hold the power and that that's your job so you do that if that's what your relationship ends up being like.
1: Yeah. Sarah, anything
2: thinking, on that? Yeah, I was going to say two things. Very similar from the adoptee's perspective. So we're very aligned on that, Kelsey. And that is um, one, just matchmaking, just using the power for matchmaking. And I think it's very similar to what you were just saying, Kelsey. I think of, um, you know, my my adoptive mom died when my children were four and five. And it's really young and they have memories but a lot of the memories that they have are because I'm constantly talking about my mom. She's not here, um, she's not with us. But um, so I guess in that sense, if it were like you know a metaphor, it would be a closed adoption if it if we were talking about that. But I'm I'm constantly rem- reminding them and telling stories and keeping her in. In conversation and alive, and so just that matchmaking um, that's happening, and I think that's Kelsey. What clearly was happening in your dynamic, because for that 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 um, that picture that your son made for you, I mean that's happening. So I think it's just that that keeping keeping it alive no matter what, and holding on to the relationship was the other thing that I was going to say. Is just that's the adoptive parent. That is the power, and so even when. The birth parent may not be interested or um, at the time because they're having their own trauma response or their own stuff happening, um, their own reactions or like you said, Kelsey, not knowing how to respond or not having the words yet. I mean, it's hard to have those words I mean, we don't have a culture that gives us a script for how to do these kind of unnatural things um, and how to handle it. So. Um, that's that what if that's going on, but whatever it is, um, just you carrying that relationship when the adoptee's numbed out, when the adoptee's defenses are up, uh, you still carry that relationship, um, however it makes sense to carry it, and but remembering that it's your role to carry that, and there's it's going to look differently throughout the adoption, I would imagine, in a lot of cases, so to, but still carrying the responsibility. Of holding that relationship, it it does need to be led by the adoptive parent.
0: Yeah, I also wanted to say too because I see a lot of, I have heard a lot of adoptive parents express a lot of insecurity relating to like, uh, the birth parent, um, the birth parent's lifestyle, whatever it that could mean for whatever birth parent, um, and and they're worried about them living a destructive lifestyle or a dangerous lifestyle or and and a lot of those words get really taken out of context like really overblown and some of them like I said earlier could be valid a lot of them um I think some adopted parents have probably not ever really stepped out of their own um into a different neighborhood where they live and um people live differently than you. I think that some people need to be told that like people live differently than you. That doesn't mean it's bad. And even if it's bad, that doesn't make it dangerous. And um, and it doesn't mean it's dangerous to you also. And so I think um, some people have to realize that there's 7 billion people on this planet and people are gonna live differently than you, whether it's culturally, socioeconomically. People in different social classes also come with different sets of skills and knowledge. So um, these aren't things to be afraid of Um, and your fear is sometimes more out loud than you think it is. So these aren't things that you want to reflect onto your child either. So it's important that even if you're trying to keep your cool aware that if you can still cut the tension with a knife in the room, then you're still reflecting that. So.
1: And I think that gets to the point that when we enter into parenting by adoption, it's a big job. It's a bigger job than other kinds of parenting, not all kinds of parenting, typical parenting, but it does call on us to try to become a little bit more expansive and to try to find that place where we're being discerning but not judgmental to your point, Kelsey. So any um, final words or anything left unsaid on the issue of navigating birth, parent and adoptive parent relationships?
2: I, I, you know, I'm sure, you know, this is not a QA, and a so I'm sure there's any number of, <laughs> you know, I'm sure we only, we, we're talking high level here. So there's probably so many particular, you know, I just, things I've heard and picked up just different scenarios. There's so much to cover and, um, but hopefully just, I just say, I hope this just these broader kind of things will help figure out those, those um very particular situations that arise that have a lot of complexity and are really hard to, to be experiencing for all three um, all the way around. And so just, you know, bringing it back to kind of these as the basics, I hope will be helpful. Yeah.
1: And the more you can get it at your core with these big ideas, then the way you manifest is going to come back, come out of your core so I do want, um, that reminds me, Sarah, that there, um, we did an uh, episode recently on problematic behaviors of, adop- of adoptive parents, and we would like to do one, it's percolating for us, um, problematic behaviors of birth parents. And if you have either of those lists that you would like to share with any of us, our contact information, you can find our contact information, please do reach out to us privately, and we can try to include some of that in the episode that we're building but in the meantime, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, let us know um, what else we, you would like to hear us talk about. Sarah and Kelsey, thanks so much.
2: Hi, thanks.
0: Thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment, rate, and share wherever you listen to help others find adoption unfiltered. It's through healthy engagement that we can make the changes needed for all those impacted by adoption. Visit AdaptionUnfiltered.com for other episodes and more information about our other projects.